podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to Malby on the Spot. I'd like to say it's your weekly chance, but we're just getting started again. To get the wit and wisdom of Mr. Jan Malby as he talks to us about the latest and not so greatest things that are happening in the Liverpool world. So after a long break, it's great to talk to you again, man. How are you, Jan? Excellent, Trevor. Absolutely. I had a wonderful summer. And uh, I have to say it was, it was one of those summers where in the end I couldn't wait for football to get back. You know, mm. some summers I think, yeah, I can, I can easily have another month off or whatever. But this summer, I don't know. Uh, let's, 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 let's get on with it. And I think, I think it's been really sort of an encouraging start to the Premier League. There's been some really good matches. You know, most teams are having to go on. They, they, the games are filled with, with excitement and energy. And, uh, yeah, some games lack a bit of quality, isn't it? But I think it's been a, a quite exciting start. Yeah, I would agree with you, and I've been watching a little bit from afar, having missed the first couple of games um, on on a very nice little holiday myself. But like you, I'm very much shaping up for it in terms of wanting it to be back and get whatever fun we can get out of it. Just before we get into any detail about any of the topics we're going to talk about, and one of them is this transfer-related thing, we'll tease it out a bit more later on, but it's a pain in the arse, yeah, is the simplest way that I can articulate how I feel about this at the moment, because it's casting a kind of a cloud over the beginning of the campaign and any fun that we are getting out of the football, because it's just there constantly. And I see people saying, well, I don't pay any attention to it. Well, fair play to you, but it's kind of relevant, so you probably should. And even though you know you can't do anything, it does have that sort of little frustration element to it. I mean, do you manage to tune out of this stuff or do you find yourself getting a bit worked up about it as well? Well, you, you can't tune out of it. You know, because yeah, it is relentless. Yeah. It, it's absolutely relentless. And now, obviously, this is the one thing that I don't like is that every, every, everybody who, uh, reports on transfer, transfer news now has a voice, don't they? And you can always find somebody linking you with somebody. Yeah. And you go, come on, man. You know, I can't, I can't, you know, things you can't take serious, isn't it? But it's everywhere. And of course, wherever you want to call people, you know, gullible or whatever, but people believe, don't they? And people get themselves carried away and they get worked up about things. So the only thing I was actually going to say about the transfer window, Trevor, but you beat me to it, was that when we start, we can't have this hanging over. You know, I, I think the Friday before the, the Premier League season starts, I think we should shut down the window. You know, get your fucking business done and let's roll with it. You know, and you look already now at the amount of clubs that's being put under pressure. They need so-and-so, they need so-and-so. Even us, you know, we need another midfield player, we need another something, another centre-half, another right-back, isn't it? You know what I mean? Yes, you always want more players, Trevor. But if you can't have it, I think it's much easier, isn't it? Yeah, it is the overlap. That's the exact point of the of the season having started and this crack continuing. And there is actually a little added hand grenade to throw into this. Once the window closes for the English game, the Saudis still have two weeks left to poach. And you could see some quite shocking things happening as a result of that where a player feels maybe I'm not getting the kind of love level of love that I'd like here and you know we've seen that people basically will do stuff for money which shouldn't be a surprise to anybody so it's going to be 
a complicated situation. But I want to start on a sort of upbeat note because the season has started and uh, we're not going to get into any analysis. Uh, we'll have a look ahead to the next game. But we'll not get into too much analysis of the two games that have been played already, except to say I'd like to get your take on what you think of the new boys and how they fit into our system. And it's going to be hard to talk about that system without addressing the elephant in the room, which is the, you know, sort of hybrid Trent role and what we think of it. And just at the start, so I, I want to be absolutely clear about where I stand on it. Um, for me, I, I think that just bin it off and play Trent where he was world class or buy another world-class right back and then play as a midfielder. But this thing that we're doing just seems to expose the hell out of us. I don't like it at all. I appreciate the concept behind it. I'm not an idiot. I see what they're trying to do. But why are we trying to imitate Man City? So I'd like to work up to that and get your thoughts on them because that's what people are listening to this show for is your thoughts, not mine. But I'd also like to start off with what you think of, of the immediate impacts of McAllister and Sabozlai, even allowing for the fact that poor old McAllister's playing in a place that he shouldn't really be playing, if we're being honest. So, Alexi McAllister is, um, um, he's kind of a no-brainer, isn't he? You know, he's, he's a really good footballer. Uh, I think more than anything, we have to get used to him. I think people who watch the Liverpool play have to get used to him uh, because I don't think he is what a lot of people think. Uh, he's a totally different, he's sort of a, a rhythm player. So do you remember when Brendan Rodgers signed Joe Allen and he said, this guy's he's going to bring his rhythm in midfield? And that's what McAllister brings. He brings rhythm into our play. Uh, he isn't he isn't a six, an eight or a ten, although he can play all three roles and he's comfortable. Uh, but his, his strength is keeping the ball moving, making really good uh, decisions in tight areas, but also when he's got all the time in the world. So, so I actually think, I think it'll take quite a while before people go, I get it now. I know exactly what he does. But I don't think we'll get to there until we've got our midfield balance right. Uh, you know, and, and that will massively improve and help uh, McAllister's. But as I said before, he's a no-brainer. The, the question is, Trevor, how far does he take it? You know, does he come in and become a really good player or does he come in and show us that he's world class and he takes it on to that next, next level? I don't know. Fail, he can't. He's too good a footballer. But it's a question of how far can he take it, isn't it? You know, how far can Jürgen drive him? You know, go on, son, you can do more. I want you to do more. I want you to take more responsibilities. Interesting. But as I said before, fail, he can't because he's too good a footballer. For, for sure. And, and it doesn't it seem does not fit into what we were saying earlier on, that it's quite frustrating that he's not getting a chance to hit the ground running and show us exactly what he's capable of doing in a position that suits him better. Um, it, it comes fully back to that um, thing about having your business done uh, that you were so emphatic about, and I agree completely. That brings us nicely on to the other man who's come in over the summer, and that's um, Mr. Sabozlai. Uh, we'll finish with Endo in a second, um, but in terms of Sabozlai, I think the way in which we went about that transfer gave everyone real hope because it was one of those ones, there was no talk, then all of a sudden we're linked with this world-class player and then all of a sudden we have this world-class player in a really short little period of time. I think everyone found that very heartening, great start. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well... Over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Um, unfortunately, that doesn't seem to have been the trend and there seems to have been quite the mess made of the remaining part. Um, but the player himself, to have him in, another wonderful addition, Jan. And there are people who are 
let's just say not holding back when it comes to their praise for what he's done so far, especially in that last game. People seem to have been very taken. I've seen comparisons with all sorts, including Steven Gerrard, but I think what people are seeing is the power and the pace added to this technique and the ability to shoot from distance. And I mean, what's not to love, Jan? He, he was always going to be easy on the eye. That, that's how he plays. He's instantly one of those footballers where you go, I know what he does. And he does a little bit of everything, doesn't he? And he does it well. Uh, so, surprised me slightly. Uh, but I guess he's a couple of years older than when he joined Leipzig uh, because it took him a little bit of time to settle in Germany. Uh, you know, he came with a, from Salzburg with a hell of a reputation and it took him a little bit of time to settle. And I thought it might have been the same Coming, coming to the Premier League, which, again, you would have gone fair enough, isn't it? But no, he looks the real deal. He looks a really, really good footballer. You know, and again, he will only benefit from when we get our uh, positions uh, right with the, with the number six and with McAllister uh, uh, alongside him, is, and then he can do his little bit, isn't he? So, again, yeah, I mean, it's always the case, Trevor, and we always have to try and compare him to somebody else, isn't it? But, you know, again, he, he looks a really, really good footballer. And it was one of those that, when we signed him, and for a lot of people, all they had to look at was his stats, wasn't it? Because they hadn't seen him play an awful lot. I'd seen him play a bit in the Champions League for Leipzig, whatever. But his, stack, his stats all stacked up, didn't they? You look at his stats and you go, wow, yeah, yeah, this, this, this is potential. But we've seen potential in the Bundesliga before not being able to transfer it into the Premier League, isn't it? But he's made a superstar. Which is very encouraging. And you talked about being able to see the best of him and Alexis when they're both able to play where they thrive with a six behind them. Now, despite the fact that we were very publicly and uh, openly, not just linked with, but desperately trying to buy uh, Moises Caicedo for a huge amount of money, um, which failed. And um, despite the fact that we have been openly linked with Czech Ducure, who again will only be sold for a huge amount of money. Apparently, according to one or two of the local boys and the journalism trade, there is no more likelihood of us necessarily going for a specialist number six. Now, again, this could be lads saying things because they have to fill the column inches, but it's an odd one, and we're very used to some of the local journalists being briefed in a way to kind of manage expectations. That is what I've read about so we could be, and we'll talk about that again just in a, in a few minutes, but we could be looking at a situation where that number six, that specialist number six, to use the phrase, is the third signing, which is Mr. Endo. And I won't pretend I knew anything about him. Um, Klopp said he was always on his list, which I find very interesting, um, considering the kind of profile of player he is, specifically age-wise. Um, but I do find that interesting. And again, he could be just saying things. It's not beyond Jurgen to stretch the truth a little at times or to, to, to bluff a little bit. But from whatever experience you have of him, even if it's just seeing what he did in a red shirt, could is there the dream that that balance might be there with those three, that that could actually do it? I mean, who knows? What do you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. Who knows? Uh, again, I have to be totally honest. Uh, the German Bundesliga games I watch always involves the top teams that I might come across in the Champions League. Uh, so Stuttgart is not one of the teams that I watch. Uh, when we signed them, instantly I went, wow. I mean, I've seen plenty of good Japanese players over the years. Really good you know, they take care, they're technically very good, they work extremely hard, but it's never quite been, you know, you always feel there's a ceiling to, to where you can take them. Uh, and maybe it's the same with this boy, isn't it? And again, what did we have? We had a little bit of a video to put together of his, his better moments. And again, we had his stats, you know. And when you look at his stats, you go, wow, no, fair dues. All his stats for a team I think they finished 15th and 17th in the Bundesliga. But all these stats sort of stacks up. So I'm thinking, as long as we ask him to do what he can do, you know, let's not get greedy with this boy and ask him to do the things that he can't do. Just do your thing. I think, I hate, I was going to say, I think we'll get away with it. No, I think this boy, I think this boy is, is more than capable 
although it is a step up, isn't it? It is, you know, from the from the lower regions of the Bundesliga into the absolute elite. Uh, but it's kind of it's. Yeah. I wish him well, you know. I look at him and I go, "Wow, what an opportunity!" At thirty years of age to come to Liverpool, to be given a chance to play, because normally, without being disrespectful, isn't it? But you would probably buy a, a Japanese footballer to maybe be a squad player. This this boy has an opportunity to become, you know, a regular. So it's, it's tremendous news for him. Fingers crossed. There's there's plenty of things you can say. We were looking to do other things, whether it was Lavia or, or, or Caicedo or whatever it is, and we've ended up with this, and it's a bit of a come down or whatever it is. But let's let's take that conversation again in three or six months, Trevor, mm. uh, to give us to give us all a chance. Endo as well as us, you know, to get used to him. And again, this thing about expectations. If you assign Moises Caicedo, you get somebody who's quite capable of doing it all. He can play right back. He can play centre half. He can play number six. He can go and play as number eight. He can do anything you want. Endo might also be able to play in a number of different positions, but he, he promises high quality uh, as Caicedo. That doesn't mean that if that doesn't mean that he won't be a success. That we can't just go listen, boy. This is what you do. I don't want you to do anything else. Look after the other two. Look after Trent uh, when, when 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 he goes off in it. So yeah, I think it'll be okay, and I agree with you. Although people say the money that we've supposedly found for Caicedo, why aren't we spending that now? Uh, well, that's that's I kind of that's going back to our owners, isn't it? Uh, they and I think they proved that in the past. And I don't know where you stand on all this, but I think our owners have proved in the past that when the right player is there, they will spend. And people will say that the money they were prepared to buy for Caicedo. Was more than what, but if you look at it, with the inflation in the world and the Premier League inflation, FSG has probably thought for a top top player to come to your club and he could be there for the next ten years. That is about the right price. Hundred not mm-hmm. million is about the right price. Let's not forget that since 2016, the average Premier League's price has trebled. You know. So you've gone from buying a top-class centre midfield player for 35 million. He now costs you 110. And I think FSG went, that price is about right with everything that's gone in the world. We're prepared to pay because we feel, because Liverpool price every target that they have, i.e. the problems we had with Lavia because we didn't want to pay the 50 to start off with. We priced everybody and we've gone, Moyes to say though, we're prepared to pay in excess of 100 million. We didn't get him. Yeah, we didn't get him. Uh, a lot of people had a lot to say. Um, people who want to bash the owners talked about how embarrassing it was. Uh, people who wanted to praise the owners talked about how Liverpool did nothing wrong. At least we were in there. So that's a whole different ball game and a whole different conversation. Just before we move away from Endo as well, probably worth noting that a lot of the chit chat, Jan, wasn't it? What was about, well, we've lost the leadership of, of Henderson, uh, Milner, Fabinho. Um, in terms of senior characters and what they bring. But that's at least two of the guys that we've brought in are international captains. You know, probably, like I've, I've said to you millions of times, I think that kind of stuff is a little bit overrated. These guys are going to be well capable of not going to pot because they don't have someone shouting at them. They're going to know how to play football. I think it's a bit of an old fashioned concept, but Old-fashioned concepts are where we're going next because in the older days, it was more common to see the manager doing everything. And you had the likes of Wenger and Ferguson having these long periods of time where they were pretty much calling most of the shots. Um, it didn't necessarily go well for the t- at the tail end for Arsene Wenger. It hasn't necessarily gone well, I think, for anybody. And you look back over time, there was always a sort of uh, delegation of responsibilities at, at Liverpool, which I think has always worked. I mean, going right back to Shankly's era. But it seems, and this is just a perception thing that I have based on what I'm reading and what, what I what I see about people leaving the club, fellas like, um, you know, our recruitment gurus, 
it seems like Jurgen's position has become more um, substantive in terms of his influence over transfer policy. Do you think there's a possibility that this is going to be something that kind of bites him in the arse or causes a little bit of friction and tension in press conferences if things don't start going right? Because the question will probably eventually arise from some fella who's just drifted in for the day about, you know, did you get it right? Should you not have gone and got that final piece? Now, there are still days left, but I think everybody's getting a little bit wary. Is he leaving himself open to a situation here? Because earlier on, Michael Edwards was there and Jurgen was happy to acknowledge that Edwards was fantastic and he needed these people around him. But something seems to have happened in terms of that dynamic. And the appointment of Schmadke is so strange, you know, especially seeing as he's apparently been around so little. Um, it just feels off a little bit to me. And I don't know what to say about it because I've all the time in the world for Jurgen Klopp. And, but I also don't have blind faith in anybody at all. So I'm just wondering where you stand on this in terms of how you see the balance there. I could generally, I think, talk about this for an hour, Trevor. Yes. Because I think, I think there is some of it is clear evidence. Uh, others are sort of hearsay and uh, what people believe. But I do believe that there came some disagreement between Klopp and Michael Edwards over the sign of Thiago. Uh, Michael Edwards was not a fan of the profile of Thiago. You know, the age... He's had probably his best footballing years were behind him. We normally sign players with the best years ahead of them. Uh, and then eventually Michael Edwards uh, left. The next one, Trevor, and Klopp has said this himself about David Nunez. Klopp said it was love at first sight. We don't do that. When have we ever done that? We followed these players for 18 months. you know. Mm. So I actually think that David Nunez is another one where Klopp, we played against Benfica and he's gone and he's spoke to Van Dijk or whatever, and he's gone bang, bang. And I think he's had a big influence on, 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 on bringing him in. Uh, and I think, again, there's been a lot of, uh, been a lot of rumours and whatever in, in the summer. Uh, but you obviously got Julian Ward, who did the McAllister deal, and then he left his position. And then Schmatkin that came in, and I have to say, totally with you, I thought this guy was retired. Uh, this and it's unfair to criticise somebody and say they're not capable of doing a job because they've never worked at the highest level. Uh, but he's just used to shopping at a different level, isn't he? So he came in, sorted out the uh, the uh, deal, and then we, we come to the Casado stuff, whatever, and then people believe that Billy Hogan was involved in the negotiations with, with Brighton because we have a good working relationship with Brighton and whatever. It's like, but I totally agree in that. Just think, three, four years ago, we sat here, Trevor, and technically there was nothing we could criticise. We could always go, we could do with another player, or but we could technically not criticise anything. We just ran such a tight ship. We knew exactly what everybody was doing, and it worked well. And now we're here where, you know, you've got half-closed doors, haven't you? So it's like, you know, people take some convincing to believe in everything. It's still people who won't have a word said about Klopp, and, I'm a big fan as well, isn't it? But recruitment, Trevor, recruitment. And it's been so good. It's everything. Recruitment is just everything. You know, what kills me about this is that people don't seem to be using their ability to think and analyse. And they seem to adopt a position. And if you're to criticise Jürgen at all, you hate Jürgen. If you're to criticise the the ownership at all, you hate the ownership. It's infantile kind of stuff. So that's why I really appreciate you breaking it down like that and going through the various aspects. As I was listening to you, I was thinking, you know, we all really want this to work out. And I can't think of anything that would be better than Endo coming in and along with the other two boys suddenly becoming one of the units of the Premier League. I mean, everyone would love that. But just... It seems we've teased it out a bit now, and I've referred to it so many times. It is hard to reconcile, isn't it? When we have appeared to be wanting to move for players like Chuameni last year, uh, appeared to wait ages for him, appeared to wait ages for um, 
uh, like we were obviously interested in Caicedo. Then all of a sudden, you know, we're in with that massive bid. And then it seemed to change Ducure. And again, this is just hearsay. I don't necessarily remember any quotes from Klopp about him. But we're obviously in for this profile. Um, Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Just so we have it on the record, we've talked before going into seasons previously where we're both kind of in agreement that it was borderline negligent not to address the fence. And then it was borderline negligent not to address the midfield. And it seems to be that we're about to do this again. If you buy into the idea that we really need this kind of player. And as I look at the squad, I don't see that type of player with the exception of the man that we've brought in, um, our 30 year old Japanese friend. So, if, if the season, the, the, the transfer window shuts without us having gotten in this high profile, specifically first team ready, uh, defensive midfielder, what do you say about that in terms of the entirety of the time that we had to get the business done? It will feel a little bit like going off undercooked and not preparing properly for another campaign. I think, I think it, it could leave a lot of hassle and potential for grumpy press conferences with the manager. Yeah, there's, there's every chance. Uh, so I, I even think the last two or three seasons when we've spoken about the lack of investment, at least in, in, in those seasons, we had what you'd call this is our starting 11. We had a starting 11. We were always more talking about what happens if he gets injured and what happens if he gets injured? This year, blatantly, we didn't have a starting 11, did we? Because we, we, we were lacking what has now become the most important player in a football team, which is a number six. A deep line number six. We didn't have one and we started the season without one of them. And for that, there's no excuse. And also when you look around, there is enough of them. You know, they're everywhere and there's some really, really good ones. Isn't it? So there's no excuse. In terms of how planning, people said that you couldn't have planned for Saudi Arabia to do what they're doing and coming to get some of your higher profile players. So I'm talking about Henderson and Fabinho. Uh, but then other people would say, should we not have been preparing to replace them anyway because of the way they've been playing? So it's okay, you go, well, we couldn't foresee that, you know, but then you think, well, should you not have been halfway down the road anyway? to look and to replace these guys, then that's when the problem starts, Trevor, because we roughly had 50 million to spend on another player. Then we got the 52 million for Fabinho and Anderson. Then we had over 100, didn't we? And then we got encouraged by Brighton when we spoke to Brighton because they said, listen, we're not sure Chelsea can do this deal. And and we kind of said, what does that mean? They said, well, you know, give, give it a go. Uh, and we did. So we were encouraged by Brighton and also by Casado's camp. Casado's camp again that used us. He, he just wanted somebody to put a rocket up Chelsea's backside uh, to get them to do the deal, isn't it? And the reason that we didn't pursue Casado's deal was that for three months, everybody felt there's only one place he's gone. Chelsea. It's the only place he'll go. Until Liverpool were left to believe that Chelsea won't or can't do the deal, isn't it? And then, of course, you're stuck then because then you have to go back to Lavia. Then you have to make it improve more than you want to pay. And then maybe that boy is feeling Less of the love, you know what I mean? I'm like second choice in it, but I think at 19, 
I, I just, I, I just have a feeling that Lavia might just regret this. Yeah, I, I might. It's funny. My take was exactly the same on several shows. Thinking about the Lavia thing. I mean, how? First of all, it's gonna. It's immediately financial uh, daftness because uh, we're haggling over a million or two, and never like. Uh, prepared to pay 10 extra because it's daft but then like you said the kid himself will realize well they pivoted pretty quickly away from me so you know screw them and if Chelsea were offering more money then that's the deal they do and we saw how ruthless uh, Bowley is in terms of his you could say ruthless you, you could say mad you could say incredibly focused if you want to be positive about it but once he got his pride stung in any way. There's no way Liverpool were going to come out on top there. You knew, you knew there was just going to be financial madness uh, thrown at it. It makes me wonder, because you brought up the Saudi thing there, that has ballooned into such a thing since we last spoke um, that we couldn't possibly have foreseen. And I even, you look at the profile of player who was going way, way back at the start, and now you look at the kind of profile of player that is being talked about and, and actually making moves there now. And you're moving down from the veteran class and the veteran stage into fellas who are, look, arguably in their prime. There is, if they keep doing this, the possibility that this thing could actually turn into something very tangible, something that people might even want to watch. Um, if you've got that many good footballers. Now, we we would imagine that it's financially not very viable, but we don't understand what infinity money looks like, and these guys seem to have it. Um, have you been taken by surprise by just how uh, forceful they have been in the transfer market by the type of player that's choosing to go and operate? in that league now? Well, you, you get the impression that they don't understand that we, 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 can't, we can't get Ronaldo. We, we, we can't get Neymar. We can't get Benzema. They don't understand that. They go, why can't we? Hmm. You know, and, that, and that's the attitude, isn't it? So what they're doing at the moment, what they did to start with Trevor is they're buying slightly older players because they start his names. So instant, there's this massive focus on them taking Jordan Henderson and Liverpool, isn't it? Mm. In 18 months' time, their next target might be a 20-year-old unknown from somewhere else. But to start off with, they, they made sure they got all the attention in the world, isn't it? The world, we're not doing, we're not spending all these billions without the world noticing this yet. So mm. they're making sure that everybody gets a bit of this, isn't it? I listen to them, I read about them. They tell me that this is a 10-year plan. If this is a 10-year plan, we're in fucking trouble, Trevor. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If, if, if they're capable of just sitting there and going, before I'd Liverpool, Mo Salah, go and get him. You know. Mm. But, you know, what do you do? Uh, and it always makes me think, what do you, what do you eat for do? You know, with the Champions League, what do they do? Do they go... Uh, should we allow Saudi Arabia in the Champions League? <laughs> you know, I don't know because money can buy everything, don't it? But if this is a 10-year plan and the kind of money they're spending now is behind that for 10 years, it will have an impact, Trevor. No two ways about it. There's things you go, I know I'm talking about the sort of human rights issues and whatever, but there's also sporting things, isn't it? Like playing in that heat and whatever. And, and some of the games don't have very many fans or whatever, isn't it? But obviously you can't do anything about the heat. Uh, but, but, but I'm sure that they can convince the people to come out and watch this, you know. If you get all the best players in the world, you know. I mean, what do Liverpool do if the Saudi Arabian club offer them 100 million for Mo Salah and they offer Mo Salah a million a week? You know, it's almost reckless to turn it down from Liverpool and Mo Salah's point of view, isn't it? It, it is. I, I saw the boy that the Premier League CEO, uh, Richard Masters, and he said, we're not overly concerned. Keeping you know, keep close out in this way. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is not going the way we want it to go. It's not, you know. It's you, not, is it? Your, your phrase there about it would be reckless for us to turn down like bananas money. I agree with you completely. And that was what I was saying about 
someone someone's offered us the same amount of money that we spent on Fabinho for oh, a Fabinho for a Fabinho who's you know a shadow of the player. Well, now maybe he could have regained his form a little bit, but you know he's he miles in the clock. All the rest of them. financially irresponsible, perhaps to turn that down. But what also is irresponsible is not to have moved immediately for his replacement, especially when you consider the only other lad who Jurgen seemed to trust to play in that position uh, was also snapped up by that same league. It's an odd one. It's an interesting question. And I do want to get on to looking at um, a couple of uh, other things in terms of the games coming up and what you think of the scheduling and all the rest of it. But I couldn't help but notice... Um, <clears throat> that there was a certain issue around penalties uh, that came up. And as everyone will know from even the name of the show here, uh, you and penalties and Liverpool is quite the thing with a massive history behind it. And I just wondered uh, what your thoughts are on Mo's situation at the moment. Now, obviously, there was the equaling of the record, but to say he's gone off the boil since then, would be quite the understatement. I think it's three and five, is it? Um, you've got the likes of Alexis McAllister and Dom Sabozlai who take penalties uh, very well, apparently, with a good conversion rate. Um, we also saw Mo Salah looking fairly pissed off a couple of times already this season, once when he was taken off and didn't get a chance to get his opening day goal and stuff like that. Do you see that in Mo we have a fella who would be okay with stepping away from that particular responsibility? I'm interested really in getting the player perspective from you in terms of what would that do to you confidence-wise or ego-wise? Later on, I want to talk to you about your own time. I want to talk to you about um, Phil Neal. And I want to talk to you about um, some of the other players who took penalties during the time that you were there. But we get hold off on that for a minute and just focus on, on the, the current set of boys. What do you think that it might do? And do you think Klopp would have any intention of taking Mo off them? No, at the moment. I, I can't see that. Uh, I, I think that would be a really big call uh, to take Mo off, off the penalties. And I don't think for one minute Mo would be happy with that. Uh, what, what do you get from the spot in the, in the season? Could be anything between five and ten goals. You know, I, I think I don't think most prepared to give that up. Uh, that's for sure. I've never been into sexy penalty takers. I've always been into the best penalty takers should be the best penalty taker. But there is clubs. It's it's no coincidence that Ronaldo's took penalties and Messi's took penalties and oh, the biggest names. I guess Ronaldo could have played with somebody. When he's took those 200 not penalties, somebody who probably would have scored more over that same period but just wouldn't get a chance. So at the moment, well, I agree with both of the others, Dominic and uh, McAllister. They look more to me like assured penalty takers. You know, Mo. Sometimes Mo is in doubt about what he should do. If he's had a penalty that the goalkeeper got close to, almost got saved or whatever, the next time. He sort of just closes his eyes and whacks it, doesn't he? Yeah. Straight down the middle, isn't he? You know what I mean? And that's, I look at Mo and I go, Mo is not what I call a real penalty taker. You know what I mean? He, he, he can, you can wait for the goalkeeper and roll it and whatever. Uh, a bit like we saw the boy, the Arsenal's captain the other night, Martin Erdegaard, who just waited and rolled it into the corners or whatever. Mo doesn't do that. Mo is a different type of penalty taker. He relies on, a lot on power. And I think when you lose confidence, it's a bit like a golfer, isn't it? You know, you've got to get the T-shirt absolutely spot on. You know, it's only got to be just a slight off, isn't it? And I think that's what's happened to Mo, isn't it? So he'll get he'll get the next three or four penalties. But well, I would suggest he needs to score them. Uh, otherwise, otherwise, we might have to revisit this. So as it stands, you think it's too big a call, but another miss, maybe two, and then it's starting to get into kind of silly territory where yeah. a, a call does need to get made. And it's funny you say that about him not being natural penalty. I think it's come up between us before in the past. 
I watch multi-penalties and I swear to Christ, Jan, it reminds me of how I took penalties, which was basically a long run up and batter it. And like, hopefully you've got, you've put it, we're in the, in the half of the goal that you want to, but one way or the other, it's going to get hit hard. Um, and he seems to have that thing about him. But I know from watching you take penalties, watching Phil Neal take penalties, exactly what you mean by someone who is a penalty taker. And I wouldn't mind just teasing that out with you a bit. And if you wouldn't mind as well, then at some stage, what, how was that? worked out between you guys because you know footballers have big egos and there's a goal scorers especially want to grab the ball and say i'm having this or i'm on a good run or you missed the last one or whatever happens to be a captain might intervene or how did, how was that worked out i mean when, when you were there you're you're the john john barnes for penalties i think probably have in in the time after you i don't remember him taking one while you were at the club um John Aldridge with his famous staggered run, took penalties. I, I, I think Rushy might take him one or two. How did you guys work that out? And what was the succession from Phil Neal to yourself? And how did that work? So, in terms of Rushy, the, the fewer penalties, the better. Yeah. We always used to say that to him, to Rushy. Oh, you, you stay away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is not for you. You know what I mean? Uh, Leave this to the big boys. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, 346 goals. I know. What is and that? Hardly any penalties. Amazing. I remember in the second season, uh, Phil Neal was the penalty taker. And it was our second game, Aston Villa White. Okay. And uh, we, we get a penalty in the last minute, 2-2. And for some reason, Rusty's ended up with a penalty. And instead of Phil Neal, Going over and say, I take the penalty. He let Rusty take it. And of course he missed. Yeah, of course he missed it. Anyway, so this is how I think I remember it. When I joined Liverpool, Phil Neal was the penalty taker. Although John Walk took some penalties in his yes. first season. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we go into the second season. New manager, Kenny is the manager. We played a League Cup game, I think, against Stockport. And Phil missed the penalty. Uh, and then the following game was Spurs at home. And the goalkeeper for Spurs was Ray Clements, who's Phil's big mate. He shared a room when they were together at Liverpool ever. And Phil said to Ronnie Moran, I'm not sure about penalties anymore. You know, he said, especially today, he said, Clemson goal, I just, you know, I just don't know. And that's when Ronnie went, do you fancy them? I said, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll have a go. Yeah. And luckily, and I do think that this was important. We got two penalties in the game. Wow. If we wouldn't have, if we wouldn't have got any, I don't know. But we got two penalties. Uh, so then it was like a no-brainer. Phil was quite happy, I think, at that time. I think there's a record. Phil took 54 penalties and scored 41, so he missed 13, which is quite a few, isn't it? Uh, and but I think Phil was kind of done with it. Uh, uh, I was listening to. Gary Neville on Sky the other night about penalties. And he said, listen, he said, I never took a penalty. He said, so I do have respect for the people who steps up and repeatedly puts them in the back of the net. Isn't it? So 87, 88, John Aldridge, that's when I broke my foot twice, uh, hardly played that season. Can't knock John's record, took 18 penalties, scored 17. The only one he missed was that one I went before that. Uh, but it was difficult then. After. Who, who, who takes penalties here, man? Is it? Is it? Is is it me or is it you? You know, and at that time, John John's record was slightly better than mine because I'd missed two in probably the same number as in uh, roughly twenty penalties. You know what I mean? So we kept John on him because John was a striker, and we probably felt that the girls the goals would do more for him in terms of trying to become top scorer. And it wasn't until. Uh, once John then left, I sort of became the permanent penalty taker again. But there were, you know, you mentioned John Barnes. John Barnes took a few, not a great penalty taker. Uh, Mark Walters, I think Mark Walters took a few penalties when he was Liverpool. Uh, but I was, yeah, I was, I, I got it back then after John. 
after after John left and you know I think I took another twenty odd penalties and, and, and just missed the one, isn't it? So so I never felt I never felt there was an issue with Phil Neal and his ego. And I never felt there was an issue when, when I got myself fit after the broken foot and I got back into the team. I never felt it was a thing for my ego either. Because I couldn't knock John's record. Yeah, I I've stood behind penalty takers and I've gone all day long. And sure others you'll go fifty fifty. I'm not sure. I stood behind John always taking the penalty, I'd go hundred percent. He'll just roll this in. And more often than I did. So it it, it wasn't a big issue. But then nothing was was it Trevor? Who was the captain wasn't a big issue, who's the penalty taker. It is today, isn't it? You know, all these things matters, isn't it? So I I can only imagine Mo would go. If Klopp would say to Mo, I think it's time for the rest, I, I, I don't think Mo would be able to understand that. He'd go, what's the problem? Well, you missed three in the last five. Yeah, but what about the previous 25? You know, so I think mm-hmm. Mo's like, just leave it with me and I'll get, I'll, I'll get back on the road. Well, let's hope, let's hope he does, because I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right in terms of the dynamic there uh, and how he might take it. So j- just for clarity, it was a casual conversation in the changing room where Phil says pre-game, not sure about this with Clem, don't really fancy it. And Ronnie Moran asks you, so Ronnie Moran is the one who is delegating the responsibility. Yeah, yeah. Ronnie was on what you call set pieces, you know, marking for set pieces and, and, and everything to do with set pieces. Uh, and I'd become a regular in the first team and I was already, I was taking free kicks, you know what I mean? Free kicks from wide positions. I was taking free kicks where you shoot direct goal and whatever. Uh, and, I, and I think Ronnie himself was the same when, when he played. He took free kicks, he took penalties, you know, and I think he just looked at me and thought, that's some progression, mm-hmm. you know. All the other lads have been here for years. Never put their hand up. Kenny Douglas, never in a million years. Rossi, never. Ronnie Whelan, forget about, forget about all, Steve Nichol. Forget about all them as penalty takers, yeah. So I think Ronnie's looked and gone, but now we've actually got somebody else, you know, who, sounds, but, but who's a little bit of a set piece specialist, you know what I mean? So I just think it would be natural to ask Jan to take the penalties. Uh, and as I said before, the rest is. But I just keep going back to: had we not got those two penalties, I, I don't know if if it ended up back to Phil Neal for the following game. I don't know. From your own experience, is there any difference in the joy between the ball hitting the back of the net from the penalty spot or from the edge of the D? Does it does it is a free kick goal a little bit more special in the feel of it, or is there any difference to a to a goal scorer? Do you know what? It always made me. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. feel great when I score a penalty because it's, it's like an isolated moment in football, isn't it? When you consider the way that football is played, mm. and then we have a penalty to kick, don't we? You yeah. know, where everything stops. Yeah. You know, and there's just 22 people on the pitch or 22 people, but it's only two involved. It's like, it's, it's, it, I just feel that it's a little bit of a unique situation, isn't it? Yeah. Everybody's watching. Uh, it's an incident. You as a taker, I expect it to convert, but of course you don't. 
always, you know, so I always felt a bit, you know, in your job, Chairman, when something you have to do, you're expected to do it, or even then sometimes you go, yeah, but I'll nail that again. <laughs> again, you know, and that's like, you know, so, okay, I never got further than scoring 18 consecutive penalties, but not many people would have ever got to 18 consecutive penalties scored, would they? So you kind of go, just did that again and again and again, you know, so it does, it does give you a little bit of a, you know, it always makes me feel like, yes, there's nothing like scoring one of the rockers in the top corner and you get a bit of it, but that other one was like, I was satisfied when I scored a penalty. Yeah. Like you say, a specialist moment, you have to act the specialist and then the, 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 the pride of doing it. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's a, a hell of a buzz. We should start wrapping the show up with a look at what's coming up for the Reds. And so the usual thing we do is we look at the next game. So let's do that first. And then we look at the, the bigger picture. Now, to say that the challenge we're going to face against Newcastle is going to probably be a step up um, is possibly an understatement. Uh, we played them Sunday, half four at St. James's Park. Um, I think a lot of people were going into the week, and just for clarification, we're recording this on Wednesday night. We're going into this week uh, after the win against Bournemouth thinking, right, we've got a week to get this player in that we need. Um, and I think, like, obviously, the more days that go past, the less kind of uh, confidence there's going to be about that. So we're looking, I guess, now, having had the really remarkable thing of the McAllister red card being rescinded, at least the availability of our two, our three new midfielders. Do you think Klopp starts with that unit? Because you got the impression... Endo's debut was a little bit extended from what it possibly would have been because of the situation. Um, did you see enough from him or do you think there is enough there that that might actually be the unit? We have another couple of lads who are just not quite right yet. I think a lot of people fear, Jan, that Thiago's going to come back in and Jürgen's going to go, well, we'll put the experienced head in there, even though Thiago is no six. Um how, how do you how do you feel he's going to go with this unit? Would you be surprised to see the three new boys operating together in that game? I think I would probably be surprised if it wasn't the three new boys. You know, mm. I think I think we've reached that level now. So the first game of the season tells you away. People are still talking before the game. He might not be prepared to go with McAllister and Dominic, both of them. Uh, and I was like, yeah, because he's He's cut his ties with the past now, hasn't he? You know, there is no going back to Henderson and Milner and Fabinho. And that's why I think that Endo will play because he's kind of, this is new, this is new look Liverpool. There's only one place they're going to find out how to play together. And there's no tougher away game. There's no tougher away game because of what Newcastle bring in terms of energy, in terms of pace, in terms of physicality. There's no tougher place to go, you know. So this this will be great for the three of them. It'll be a real eye opener because this will be there you go the Premier League at its best. So, but I think the three of them will start. And with that in mind, I think an awful lot of people you mentioned Klopp's uh, you know love affair with Darwin Nunes that has very much been put on hold as we look at um, different people doing the job up front, and an awful lot of people. Uh, whereas we can we know what. Diogo Jada offers in terms of snapshots and clever finishes and scuff finishes and all those kind of things. Work rate is undeniable. Um, but when you haven't got a Bobby Firmino there, you're not going to have that aspect of, of link up play from Jada. Um, I'm not saying you have it with Nunes either, but you have a different type of threat and you would imagine it'd be an interesting threat when you have the passing skills of Sabazlai and McAllister added to the midfield. Uh, and obviously Trent, I hope the goal is allowed to operate where he's best, where he was the best in the world for a period of time and hopefully will be again. So I wonder, do you see any shake up there in terms of the attacking personnel? Obviously Mo's a nailed on starter, you would imagine, 
But after that, it's sort of a little bit up for grabs. I mean, Cody Gakpo playing as midfielder is not something we really want to see unless he's a really all-out attacking ace. Um, for me, and this is just the way I want to frame it up so you can get your take. For me, I think Gakpo is far better um, for what is I think we, we're trying to do uh, in the focal point there in the nine with uh, the two boys either side of them than than um, than than Jota is. But again, it's your opinion. I'm interested in here. I think Salah, Cody Gakpo, and, and Diaz. Uh starts. Uh, I, I just can't have it any other way. Uh, Diaz, we always say about Diaz, he needs to act to what is an exciting game. And I think two goals in two games. I think you've got to capitalise on this moment. You know, the players in a good place right now is. And also, and again, it's, it's a bit to do with what we talk about with penalties and egos. I think Shota accepts okay, I start on the bench. Come on and make a difference. I think Diaz would be really disappointed if he didn't start. And I just think with Cody Gakpo, Klopp loves Cody Gakpo. He loves working with him because he's tactically very, very astutious. And so, with us being away from home, uh, I, I can see those three being the three of them. Before I ask you for a, a prediction to wrap up the show, can I get your take on it? Because I kind of danced around it there and I don't know if I led you back to the specific point I was trying to get at. Um, the Trent experiment, um, the fluid defense into midfield, back three to back four thing. Um, what do you think of it in terms of the sample size that we've seen? Um, are you a fan? Do you like it? Do you think it's having an impact on transfer plans? What's your take? I don't like it. I didn't like it towards the back end of last season. Uh, and towards the back end of last season, we spoke very highly about it because it worked and it had an impact on our, our final 10 or 11 games of the season. That is no denying that. Uh, but I, I wasn't at the Bournemouth game, but I was at the Chelsea game. Uh, and I just think that you almost need to reconvince Trent. You're a right back. Point for players are right back. You know, whereas sometimes Trent finds himself as right back and he's going, this is not where I want to play anymore. Yes, you're right back. Let's, let's get back to right back. And I also think that it's not how club operates. It's not how club gets the best out of these teams by playing that system. You know what I mean? So I'm not a fan. Uh, either play him in midfield and buy a world-class right back, but I would just leave him where he is and just go, listen, Jen, I understand, but we we've invested 120 million in a new midfield. We trust they can do the job and you just, Slowly coming to become the best attacking right back in the world, and then we will collectively, with Endo and Konati and whatever, we'll help you defensively. Unless you get on with it. Couldn't agree more with that. Couldn't agree more with that. Whether or not that would be the case we, remains to be seen. Let's just finish then with our usual uh, last thing, which is to get your take on how you think what you said is going to be an admittedly very difficult game for the Reds at Newcastle. How do you reckon it goes? So, I watched them last week, Newcastle at Manchester City, and they didn't do particularly well. But Manchester City are so difficult to play against because they starve up, you off the ball, isn't it? That won't quite be the case when they, when they play us. I expect an end-to-end game with, with plenty of goals. Uh, I think it's going to run out a 2-2 draw. Yeah, I uh, find it hard to argue with that. I wonder how people would be with that overall. It's, it's an interesting one and not exactly the start of the season we'd like, but like you say, a tough away game. Um, so maybe there would be something to be said for it. Look, Jan, we've gone all over the shop on our first one back after a while. So I really appreciate you going with the flow there and answering the questions as always. Uh, great insights. Uh, so on behalf of myself and everyone else, thanks very much. No problem at all. Trevor, wonderful to be back. It is, buddy. It is. Yeah, when- when you have games like Newcastle away, it's just terrific, isn't it? You know, yeah. if, you, if you can't look forward to that, yes, slightly worried, but these are the games, aren't they, Trevor? These are the games. That's it. Just embrace the worry, folks, because it looks like it's going to be part of the setup for the next little while anyway. So let's just get back to enjoying the Reds. That was Jan Mulby. I've been Trev Denny. This is Mulby on the spot. We'll be back with you next week. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. 
there's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.